On today's episode of Still Processing a 76ers podcast, we discuss the Philadelphia 76ers making their way out west to Colorado to prepare for the upcoming season, and also the latest on the James Harden situation. All that and more on today's episode of Still Processing a 76ers podcast. And welcome to episode seven of the Still Processing podcast. We're still here. We're still processing. The season is right around the corner. Uh, there is excitement building, not just nausea throughout the offseason, but uh, true, legitimate, palpable excitement. So before we dive on into all that, I'm here joined, of course, by our producer, Andy Quach. Andy, how are you feeling this fine night? I'm doing good, dude. Uh, NBA preseason started today, so that means the regular season is just around the corner. Uh, ready for all this off-season gabber to stop, jibber-jabber, and uh, ready to play some ball and evaluate some ball. Absolutely. Just get back in the hoops as uh, obviously therapeutic as that is. So uh, looking forward to that. Sixers play their first preseason game this Saturday uh, against the Boston Celtics. We'll see if uh, newly acquired Celtic former Sixer Drew Holiday will play in that game. Either way, my heart breaks a little bit just thinking about it. But focusing on the Sixers, obviously they're in Colorado, practicing at Colorado State. Uh, you know They've talked to Coach Prime. They're out there business hard at work. I mean, this is almost a complete 180 from uh, what we saw last year. Not that they weren't working hard in Charleston, but uh, it, it's just a completely different energy, even with the looming James Harden drama. And one of the big differences, and this is as evident by the media that's out there, this is as evident by uh, more than anything just listening to the, the players, because right now that's what everybody has to go on with these practices not being open, but with the access to the players being what we have to go on. Things under Nick Nurse so far are exciting to say the least. So the biggest, I would say, proponent of this, or at least most outspoken example, because we've heard guys all offseason talking about this, talking about what Nick Nurse brings to the table, the, the difference between the voice in the locker room this year versus last year, schematically, ideas-wise, the word adjustment's been thrown around at least – a thousand more times than it was last year. Uh, so with all that being said, Daniel House recently spoke after the second day of practice, talking about Nurse and specifically that difference between last season and this season. And Andy, I want to get your thoughts on what he said specifically about Nurse because it's interesting to say the least. So uh, when asked about the differences between last season and this year, he talked about, and this is what he said here, it's a lot more selfish basketball. It's not so much of two guys having the ball. Uh, you continued on saying that Doc is two guys, ball dominant. Nick Nurse is everybody play together. Everybody work for each other. Help, cut, get your brother open shots. I mean, that's 
I would say encouraging off the jump. What's your initial reaction kind of to that thought? You know, what was the first thing that came to your mind? Well, first, I want to commend Danielle House on having the gall to be candid because we've been hearing all these other quotes from Tobias and Joel and Maxi, and it's all like, oh, the energy is better. It's more uh, fast paced. The ball's moving. We're having so much more fun, uh, which is just the softer way to say what Danielle House said, which is that the ball is actually moving. They're going to do some different things yeah. on offense this year. And, uh, yeah, that was always Doc's biggest problem, right? A lack of adjustments and an over-reliance on his stars, both in terms of minutes and usage. And uh, we've seen time and time again that when a Doc Rivers team gets stuck in the mud or they start to fall behind, they usually can't climb out of it because of his unwillingness to make adjustments and to do different things. And it makes sense why these guys would be excited to play for Nick Nurse. And even with you know, the, the, his, him bringing a more recent title than Doc Rivers, it kind of feels like some of the pressure is off because Doc yeah. Rivers has earned that reputation to be like, if you're adding Doc Rivers, you want to compete for a championship, which is the same with Nick Nurse, of course, but he's been around for a fifth of the time that Doc Rivers has been coaching. So it feels like there is this new air. Of course, anytime you get a new coach, uh, usually there should be an infusion of confidence and energy as well. Um, so it seems like everything's working the right way. I, I believe Nurse will be a great fit with the X's and O's, um, doing different things. I like that he's not afraid to lose by 40. He knows that losing by 20 and losing by 40 is no difference. So if you're if you're behind, you might as well try different things, which is, I think, something we can all agree uh, that the Sixers could have used in that game seven. Yeah, I think just that general mentality is helpful and, uh, the one thing, obviously, there will always be an air of role player trying to talk up the new coach. You know, that is uh, <laughs> just the reality of the situation. Uh, it's not to say that House was disingenuous. It's not to say that Nurse isn't uh, doing a phenomenal job. It's not to say that these new open concept offense schemes aren't uh, going to be effective, aren't going to be helpful for the team this year. All that could be true. Coincidentally, uh, someone who's looking to crack a crowded, although unimpressive, uh, wing bench role, effectively, uh, competing with Furkan Korkmaz, competing with Danny Green, uh, who you would imagine would have a leg up just based off of, A, his veteran status, B, his shooting ability, and C, his relationship both with the Sixers and with Nick Nurse. You would think a guy's going to try and, you know, pump, puff up his coach a little bit to get a few extra minutes. But that being said, there is seemingly a lot of truth here as well. Uh, first, to acknowledge Doc, and I have, I believe, made my stance overall on, on Doc known uh, over time. But uh, he, he's certainly done some impressive things over his career. Uh, he's widely considered to be one of the top coaches of all time. People can argue that, but he does have the accolades in terms of at least the regular season success uh, that would warrant consideration for it. And when you look back at last year, you talk about ball dominance. That's what House brought up. The pick and roll was obviously huge for Joel Embiid and James Harden. It could even be considered the linchpin of Joel Embiid's MVP case because it was unstoppable, effectively. 
it allowed him to score to the level at which he did. Uh, not that Embiid cannot score from different levels, but all the work out of the elbow that he did, uh, yes, it did cause some dominance, some uh, stagnant play by the rest of the offense. It, it did also lead to a lot of success for Philadelphia. I don't believe it's the path to success in the modern NBA. I don't believe that it's the direction the team should go moving forward. That is that over-reliance on ball-dominant play. That being said, there there was a reason for it. It did work well with Harden as well, despite the sacrifices that he uh, has stated on many occasions that he made. Even still, all that aside, I'm excited by the future of this free-flowing offense, the concept of ball movement. Uh, with James Harden's return, however long that lasts, and we'll talk more about that a little bit later on, uh, it even bodes well for a potential uh, successful period of time, however long that is. I don't believe he finishes the season in Philadelphia, but uh, however many games Harden plays in Philadelphia, I believe the the offensive scheme is cohesive to his style of play. So I'm encouraged by that to a degree, I should say. Obviously, he... (laughs) Yeah, he has, he has the Obviously, tools for he's, it. Obviously, he, he has the tools for it. He He's going to want to run it his way. But uh, at, at, in, in certain areas, it's, it's probably a step better. Not best for him for what he considers what he should be running, but it's probably a step up compared to just running the pick and roll with Joel in terms of what Harden would prefer to do. Uh, so all that being said, uh, I do think that there's some excitement to be had. I do think that this fresh idea – is something that could make a difference for the Sixers this year. Now, is he going to put them into title contention? I don't believe so, especially with the ongoing Harden trade drama. But like you said, it does definitely seem like Nick Nurse is interested in new ideas, at least new to the Sixers. Uh, he is interested in planning for adjustments, and he is willing to change directions if he feels like something's not working or not working to its maximum ability. So. Just having that, obviously, is a breath of fresh air in Philadelphia. Uh, and so I think the praise is, is very well deserved for Nick Nurse. We're going to have to see it put together throughout the regular season, and that's going to take time, obviously. But the early signs are absolutely encouraging. And one player who's been kind of a focal point, whether you're Nick Nurse, Sixers fans hoping to see the jump, especially considering what's going on with Harden, uh, Tyrese Maxey has kind of been the, the major X factor and this entire scheme change and the potential for what this team is going to be able to do is almost obviously Joel Embiid is is the best player. He's the MVP, not just of the team, but of the league. That being said, how Maxi performs this season might be the key to the Sixers entire year. So, uh, so far reports are that he's been an absolute standout in camp. On both ends of the ball. He's improved defensively. He's been electric offensively. What are you looking to see out of him this season with this new uh, Nick Nurse free-flowing offense? Uh, I'm looking at probably a lot more off-the-catch opportunities and not just standing in the corner wide open after a double team, but like actually getting floppy screens and running with intent to catch the ball and scripted plays where he's running to the three point line to catch the ball and shoot. Um, That's, I mean, Fred Van Vliet thrived and earned himself a near max contract off of those actions pretty much alone. 
in uh, three years with Toronto. His shot diet was pretty much all from the three-point line. Um, I don't want to see that for Maxi, but I do want to see more of it, at least from a standpoint of what Doc was doing, which is a pretty low bar. So I think we'll see that a lot. I think we're going to see a lot of design screen actions for Maxi to spring him at the three-point line. And I'm hoping to see him as a secondary playmaker more, if not as a primary playmaker, depending on what happens with the Harden trade, because they're going to need it. They might be able to survive, you know, the regular season with him kind of just maintaining his off-ball role from last year, but they're going to need him to be on the ball if they're going to improve their title chances in any way. Yeah, obviously, Sands, Harden, Tyrese Maxey, depending on the return, uh, it would be the de facto number one option, and it's not an encouraging option, I would say, based on what we've seen. Uh, that being said, it's been a focal point of growth uh, for Maxi, a focal point for how he can improve his game this offseason. Maxi's talked about that. Nick Nurse has talked about that. Joel Embiid's talked about that. Uh, so it, it is something that we will see. As far as him as a shooter, we've seen that growth each and every season. Not only has his percentage increased, his uh, attempts from three per game per, per game have increased. Uh, so from his rookie season, averaging about two attempts per game to four to six, the logical next step would be eight. You know, if you're going to be following that trend, uh, so I would love to see eight or more three point attempts per game from Maxi. I don't want to see that over-reliance like we saw at the end of the Fred Van Leet tenure in Toronto. Especially because Maxi, Maxi right now is more physically gifted than Fred Van Leet ever was, but he's no, especially easy. not he's especially not in the athletic stage of his uh, life that Fred Van Leet was at in his final couple years in Toronto. So uh, there's a lot more that Maxi can do than, than just an over-reliance on the three-point game. So I would love to see him be able just to I – mean, obviously the fast break is going to be one thing that we're going to hopefully see improve in Philadelphia. With DeAnthony Melton healthy, he mentioned his back injury did cause uh, some issue in his finishing last season. So with that out of the way, you know, you're going to be running a lot of Maxi and Melton together. That should hopefully improve the, the fast break game. Kelly Oubre uh, is another player who can hopefully improve that as well. More minutes for Jaden Springer. These are all things that bode well for uh, potentially faster offense. So with these things in mind, those are the areas that I want to see Maxi improve more on, you know, running that break, organizing it, orchestrating it. Uh, also being an option on that break as well, because the thing is that there's multiple, there's no primary ball handler, but uh, one interesting thing to see with this Sixers offense is, uh, what it's going to look like with potentially multiple secondary ball handlers on the court at the same time. So uh, if you're looking at possibly even a three-guard lineup, which I do think the Nurse will employ at times, of uh, Tyrese Maxey, DeAnthony Melton, and it could be Patrick Beverly, although the size isn't ideal. Jaden Springer is a more interesting combination if you're going to throw him in alongside Melton and Maxey. Uh, and there's really some opportunity to play with some pace, which we haven't seen from the Sixers team in some time. So uh, it's definitely going to be interesting. Then there's the defensive side for Tyrese Maxey. He even said, uh, I believe it was at media day, that uh, one of these years someone's not going to – he's going to go a year without anyone asking about his defensive improvement uh, or without calling out his defense. So uh, that's one thing that I do want to see this year a little bit more of. He's been talking with Anthony Mountain a lot. 
I think that's a fantastic idea. He should be learning everything he can from Nick Nurse, obviously, from Anthony Melton, from Patrick Beverly, and Jaden Springer should be doing the same thing, even though he seems like he's already a serviceable NBA defender. Uh, but that's what we want to see. We want to see that guard defensive progression because that is one of the stronger weaknesses it looks like for the Sixers so far. So if they're able to elevate their level of play on that end, uh, it, it doesn't answer every question for Philadelphia going into next year, but it definitely does help. Now, is that something you think Maxi can do that he can make that uh, next step defensively, or is he kind of capped out already? I actually think he was better defensively last year than people give him credit for. He was really good at navigating screens and, uh, staying close to people. The problem is he's just like a small dude and uh, yeah. <clears throat> happens to a lot of small guys like Damian Lillard. Like it's not that he didn't try on defense or anything like that, or he, he was usually in decent positioning, but people are just bigger than him and they're going to shoot over him. They're going to shoot through him. And that's kind of what's going to happen with Maxi. So I do think there's room for growth there just as he gets bigger and uh, adds strength to his game. But I also think Nick nurse's scheme is, might help him more on defense and offense because it's going to let him kind of be more rangy and use his speed and play in the passing lanes more um, with people ready to recover and rotate more so than Doc's defense, which was more traditional, like run them to the baseline and have Joel block everything. Um, But yeah, I think playing in kind of like a, a defense that's meant to generate chaos instead of just like traditionally sticking man on man, I think that'll help him a lot and Melton. Melton can do it both ways, of course, but um, seeing them generate turnovers and playing fast, uh, that's all part of the Nick Nurse thing. Um, But, yeah, I I think we'll see more of an impact on his defense than his offense in the first year, actually. Yeah, which would be exciting. I I would love to see almost a transformed Sixers defense overall, which I think that we're going to be looking into. Uh, I think that we're going to be looking into the most – defensively engaged Joel Embiid uh, that we've seen in the past few years. Uh, obviously the, the initial story is about uh, Tyrese Maxey defensively, you know, how are we going to defend on the wing? How are they going to defend on the perimeter? Joel Embiid at one point in his career was a defensive player of the year candidate perennially. Uh, he obviously was one of the top rebounders in the league. And that's kind of gone away the past couple of seasons. You know, we've seen him place a lot more, focus on the offensive game and that's paid off very well for both himself and for the Sixers. But there remains something to be said about his value as a defender and what that can bring to a team and uh, losing an offensive threat, potentially losing an offensive threat like James Harden may have someone believe that this is an occasion for even more offensive dominance from Joel Embiid, but that doesn't seem to be the uh, prescription that Nick Nurse is filling no pun intended. That just naturally fell out. But uh, going forward, I do think that's something that we're going to see with Joel Embiid, potentially with the two big lineups. We've talked about Paul Reed joining him on the uh, at the four. Uh, Mo Bamba, depending on the matchups, might be playing at the four with Joel Embiid. Uh, I think that we're going to see Joel coached to be a little more active defensively going forward. I think that's going to be really good for himself and really good for the Sixers. Uh, but obviously the big question mark heading into camp was James Harden. James Harden was missing from media day. James Harden did not fly out with the team to Colorado. But he did show up 
Now, he wasn't there for the team dinner Tuesday night, but he did show up uh, at the end uh, Tuesday night and was there full participant. Not full, mostly a full participant. I, don't, I believe he did not participate in live practice. Uh, but that, all the drills he took part in, is there any part of you that's shocked that Harden was a participant in the training camp, that this is that we're not there watching him in a big mama's house suit, uh, that, that he's there seemingly healthy, seemingly good shape, possibly even better shape than last season? I mean, does that surprise you at all, Andy? Um, him being in shape surprises me. Um, but I guess it's because he knows he, he kind of has to be now. He, he's getting up there in age. But him showing up and reporting for his job, I'm not surprised at. Uh, because at the end, you know, w- no matter what story it is, in the end, it's going to be just business. Uh, it might seem yeah. super personal. Uh, same thing with the Trailblazers thing that just went down. Dame's already went on record and said that he doesn't hold any animosity for anybody in Portland, um, despite, you know, all the back and forth with him and their general manager, Joe Cronin. Um, but, but yeah, things just move on. And if you follow the money, you're going to get the answer most of the time. And I think that's. That's where we're at. Uh, we'll have to see how that translates into the regular season if he's still on the team, because um, he's re- he's required to show up. But beyond that, he can pretty much do whatever he wants once he's uh, on the roster and in uniform. All right. So he's <clears throat> required to show up to practice. He's uh, required to report to the team, uh, play in the game unless unhealthy. Obviously, folks have talked ad nauseum about the. Uh, fact that if Harden does not show up and report, the Sixers can withhold his free agent rights, effectively meaning that he would be retained for another season, so he could not go where he pleases in the offseason. He doesn't want to lose money the same way that Ben Simmons did in his time holding out in Philadelphia. So with that being considered, the, the concept of him showing up is not the surprising part. I think you're absolutely right there. Uh, him showing up in shape is a welcome sight. Uh, kudos to him for doing so. Now, that being said, there's no hint at him rescinding the trade off uh, or, or the trade uh, request, I should say. So while the Sixers organization, Harden's teammates, possibly Daryl Morey, may be hoping that there's a pathway to a resolution that keeps Harden in Philadelphia, it still does not seem likely, but the fact that he is in camp, in shape, I believe does bode well for the Sixers moving forward, especially as it comes to looking for a trade partner, uh, which that's kind of Harden's motivation at this point, is, is being able to be traded. Now, you mentioned the Damian Lillard situation, and you know for those watching, obviously it was a Bit of a brutal situation, uh, especially towards the end, it it seems, with the lack of negotiation going on between the Blazers and the Miami Heat, which would be the LA Clippers in this scenario with the Sixers. That being said, if you look at the two sides, that being Joe Cronin and Damian Lillard, and then flip it to Philadelphia, Daryl Morey and James Harden. But looking at Joe Cronin and Damian Lillard, in the end... They did what they needed to do for a mutually satisfactory uh, resolution to the issue. While Dean did not go to Miami, he went to a contender, arguably a better situation than in Miami. 
talk about the Portland Trailblazers. Well, they got DeAndre Ayton, who Jake Fisher of Yahoo Sports has been reporting for months, effectively, that they had been interested in Ayton. On top of that, they did receive several picks in the initial trade, and they did also receive Drew Holiday, who were they able to later flip for more picks, Robert Williams, Malcolm Brogdon. They're probably going to keep Williams, but they may flip Brogdon for even more picks. It's a pretty good deal for Portland, all things considered. You can say what you want about the Miami Heat picks later on. I'd rather have a 2029 Milwaukee Bucks pick than a 2029 Miami Heat pick, just based off of what we've seen historically from the two franchises. So, with all that being said, James Harden playing ball for now for Philadelphia, maybe it doesn't get him a resolution where he's dealt to the LA Clippers. I wouldn't rule it out, but maybe it doesn't. But if he can open up that trade request, not dissimilar to how Damian Lillard did adding the Brooklyn Nets and the Milwaukee Bucks very late in the process to his acceptable teams. Maybe we can find a resolution where just about everybody's happy. And until then, until we have another team for Harden where he says, you know, I'm willing to play here. I'm willing to play in New York. I'm willing to play in Miami, whatever that case may be, the focus will remain the Clippers, which Brings us actually to our next point, which is the recent article from Sam Amek and Sham Sharania of The Athletic and their article on the current goings-on with James Harden trade rumors, but also what's happened earlier this summer. So I would say that the big initial, I guess where we should start, let's try and do this as chronologically as possible because the article uh, does go a little bit back and forth just trying to give context that's how they uh wrote it and it reads very well but uh the first big takeaway is that the clippers had offered back in july an unprotected first a pick swap and matching salary for james harden would you have taken that deal knowing what you know now for james harden um i mean it's kind of proving that it's always better to wait right because because that offer is probably not going to go away. Um, but the article does probably make it sound like a weaker offer than it probably was because the matching salaries, like pretty much everyone on the Clippers roster is a playable, like supporting cast member. Like the, by, by matching salary, they're probably talking like Norman Powell, Robert Covington, Nick Batum, people like that, where they could immediately come in and have an impact for the Sixers. So outside of like Brandon Boston, like pretty much anyone on the Clippers roster could play in the Sixers eight man rotation for the playoffs. Probably. Can I throw out a name that counts as matching salary who more than likely a team would not be excited about to hear their name included in the trade offer. Who's that? Who am I forgetting? That would be Marcus Morris, who I, I would put, just about anything down to say that he was likely included in this deal. Um, I could see them mentioning Norm Powell because of the Nick Nurse connection. I would also see them wanting to retain Norm Powell because of his offensive capabilities. So that being said, there's a lot of unknowns still with this. If it was a situation that did include Norm Powell, not that I love the contract, love the player, not that, um, But if it was more so the expiring salary route, which admittedly does go with the Sixers' plans for 2024, if you're looking at Marcus Morris, if you're looking at Robert Covington and probably Nick Batum, I would think would be the three players involved 
plus a first round pick and a pick swap. I think that's where you kind of lose me is where there's just not enough instant value and there's not enough long-term value. Now, if you can orchestrate a trade that really goes heavy handed one way or the other, like obviously Paul George, they wouldn't even necessarily want draft compensation. Clippers aren't offering Paul George. It's just not going to happen. And then, you know, conversely, if they were offering three first round picks for James Harden, I think that the Sixers would be fine taking the expiring salary. But trying to meet somewhere in the middle is difficult when maybe what you consider to be, and you being the Clippers, uh, to be uh, helpful salary is not really that outside of matching in, for, for, for those purposes. But uh, that's that's my long interruption. I apologize, but go back on as you were saying. No, you're good. I was just going to follow up and ask you, Would it's from the same article. Uh, they, they stated that the Sixers are looking for Terrence Mann and multiple first-round picks. Now, that could mean, you know, three or four, but it, it could also just mean two. Um, so I was just going to ask you, would that make the difference for you? How big are you on Terrence Mann? Yeah, it's it's a great question. And I, I think the first to, – to answer your question with a question, and then I'll actually answer your question because it's always annoying when someone answers a question with a question. Uh, to, to answer it with a question, though, do we buy the legitimacy of that? So uh, I want to be very clear, not – questioning whether or not Sam and Maker Sham Sharania had a source that said this because it would be ridiculous to do so. They obviously are professionals who do this on the daily. Uh, many in-touch sources. More so, my quandary is around the motivation of the source. So when we look at sourced information, information is always leaked for a purpose whose agenda is attempting to be pushed in that regard. When we look at specifically Sam Mick, historically over the past, I'll say year or so, it's been a lot from the camp. It's appeared to be a lot from the camp of James Harden. So is this a situation where, well, James Harden shows up at camp, he's working hard, he's in shape, he's at Sixers camp, and then a report, coincidentally, within that same timeline drop, stating that the Sixers are looking for multiple first-round picks and Terrence Mann, which some could argue would be, uh, based off of Harden's track record, uh, an excessive ask. Is it an attempt to show, once again, that the Sixers are not, as many have said, arguing in, or... or uh, negotiating in good faith is is it an example of that that's what comes to my mind is, is how, how much do i really think that terrence man is holding up this deal uh how much do i really think that do i think the Sixers are pressing for every little every single asset that they can get from the clippers i absolutely believe that just knowing daryl morey knowing his mo i absolutely believe that that's the truth that being said I don't know that Terrence Mann exactly is the linchpin. I know the Clippers are enamored with him. I know that many other teams are interested in him. He, he is an intriguing player, to be fair. His box stats may not be overly impressive, but you have to look beyond the box score every now and again. Uh, 
and he, he's he's a fine player, fine uh, role player. You know, he's he's a quality starter. He's served very well on the on the Clippers roster. Um, but to get back to the essence of your actual question, you know, would it, it make a difference for me? Well, the multiple picks are still the focal point. Now, is Terrence Mann what I'm going to – is he the hill that I'm going to die on? Not necessarily. Would I prefer Terrence Mann over, say, Norm Powell? I think that I would, even though Powell is the more advanced offensive player. I think that based on what Mann brings as a support player and his more beneficial contract, I think that adds a lot more benefit than what Norm Powell brings. Uh, so I would certainly be looking for Terrence Mann in a trade because if I'm the Sixers, I'm looking for everything. I'm looking for the 2028 first-round pick unprotected. I'm looking for the 2030 first-round pick unprotected. I'm looking for whatever pick swaps I can get. I'm looking for Norm Powell. I'm looking for expiring salary in the form of useful players like Nick Batum and Robert Covington. So I would be interested in all this. I just don't think – I have a hard time believing Terrence Mann is the sticking point for Daryl Morgan. I think it has much more to do with the, the multiple first-round picks than it does uh, Terrence Mann. But that that also brings us to our next point where uh, they do go on to state that, you know, the Clippers – and this is, again, where I start to question uh, where the source – their allegiance lies – is that the Clippers are working hard to acquire more draft capital in order to acquire James Harden. So they're looking, according to this report, to move pick swaps for more draft capital to then acquire uh, James Harden with it. What part of any of the reporting this entire offseason that we've seen, from, from most any source, have we seen that would lend one to believe that the Clippers are doing everything they can for James Harden. What I remember hearing, what I've heard through through all the source information from all the great members of the media who, who have been working this, you know, from the Jake Fishers, uh, Kyle Newbeck, uh, you know, everybody such as that, is that at every turn, the Clippers have been disinterested in offering more than one first-round pick. Now, that's not counting swaps, but let's just say one unattached pick. They have been disinterested in including Terrence Mann. And that tracks with the supposed trade that was presented back in July. So are the Clippers actually doing everything to land James Harden? That's what I'm not quite so sure of. But what is your perspective? Do you think that maybe it's been a change of heart for the Clippers? They've missed out on Damian Lillard. Not that they really had a chance to begin with. They've missed out on Drew Holiday. Again, not that they really had a chance to begin with. Are they at that point where they're starting to feel that pressure a little bit, that heat? They've talked about extension talks ramping back up with Paul George. Paul George and Kawhi Leonard have both been in on bringing in James Harden. So are they starting to feel that fire? Are they really trying to do everything they can, or is this just a little bit of smoke? See, it's tough because I I really don't believe that they're doing everything they can because I I think – I think just their best possible offer without a third team involved should be enough to get it done, right? I mean, if if we're to believe this report, then Terrence Mann and sure. two or three first-round picks should be able to get it done. Um, so just by that measure, then they're not doing everything they can. But maybe they are starting to feel the heat. Because, I mean, if you're transposing the whole Dame saga into 
this situation, then the Clippers are the Miami Heat, right? Uh, the biggest losers of the offseason so far. So yeah. maybe they are feeling the pressure and maybe they're trying to uh, trying to get third teams involved and trying to be creative. But the, the within the same report, it's either that the either the Sixers need more than Terrence Mann in first round picks or the Clippers aren't doing everything they can. That it can't both of them can't be true. And yeah. I'm probably leaning with the Clippers aren't doing everything they can, at least not yet. Yeah, and again, that could change. Uh, still plenty of time for everything to change. Preseason hasn't even begun for the Sixers. Obviously, today's the first day that's begun for the league. Uh, but we still have a whole preseason to go through, uh, most of a month to go through before the regular season starts. And then it's an 82-game marathon. You know, Obviously, we can only go up to the trade deadline, but still a long way away from the NBA trade deadline. And there's just no surety that this is resolved by the start of the season, by the in-season tournament, by the end of this calendar year. There's just no guarantee that it's resolved by any of those. I mean, we, we could even be looking at a situation where James Harden is still here past the trade deadline, and then he just walks at the end of the year. I mean, that is, I would say, not the most likely uh, situation. I feel at a certain point, the Sixers would probably reach a point where they just get what they can for him, but uh, there's just not that guarantee, I wish I could say, uh, that the Sixers are going to um, move on from Harden anytime soon because they played the waiting game so far. It's worked for them so far, it seems. Keep on waiting. Maybe you can either negotiate Harden coming back. You can negotiate Harden adding more teams to his list, or you can negotiate with the Clippers uh, a better deal on the surface. But a uh, lot still to go on the James Harden trade saga. Uh, it's So far, it's palatable. He's in camp. He's been great. His teammates are happy. His coach is happy. He and Daryl Morey are still not talking not even in the gym at the same time, but that's fine. That's not a necessity. Hopefully uh, conversations continue, start back up, intensify a little bit. Uh, Again, possibly even adding in another team. Miami Heat are such an interesting team in this equation because they've missed out so hard on multiple targets. Damian Lillard being the, uh, the most obvious and everybody from the media to the fans we're so sure that they were going to land Damian Lillard and it did not work, which is uh, admittedly uh, tickles the funny bone a slight bit for anyone not in Miami. But uh, even still, there is another all-star caliber point guard available, but he just completely goes against everything the organization preaches and, and stands for heat culture, you know? Uh, so I, I, I guess just our last point real quick, is there any shot that he get involved in this? You think, Andy? I hope so. I, I want to see it, um, but you're right. I mean, like you could not find two bigger opposites between a player and a franchise, except that uh, the Heat are located in Miami. I'm sure that's a that's pretty true. good selling point for James Harden. Um, but yeah, I, I think there's a pretty good reason that Jimmy Butler and James Harden aren't friends already. They're both superstars. They're both, you know, from the they were from the Texas area and uh, mm-hmm. so far that 
they're they haven't linked up and I, I feel like that's for very good reason yeah so i mean time will tell this this, this does have that feeling of inevitability the clippers that the damian lillard trade sweepstakes didn't quite have just because lillard was in far more demand than harden uh but we'll see like i said still a lot of time between uh now and the time that a trade has to happen so for now the focus turns back to training camp turns back to preparing for the regular season playing these preseason games uh exciting one first game uh again saturday i think boston celtics uh should be an exciting night but really just trying to process all the way through processing the drama processing the pain that's what this fan base has done so well for so long so uh, before we wrap up today's pod, would just like to mention that we are, in fact, giving away an autographed Paul Reed jersey, Sixers jersey. And the winner of the Paul Reed autographed Sixers giveaway will be announced shortly before the Sixers' first preseason game against the Boston Celtics. So head over to Twitter at processing pod 76 find the it's it's pinned right to the top of the twitter profile like retweet follow us at processing pod 76 follow at philadelphia sn that is philly sports network if you're not following already plenty of great content not just covering the philadelphia 76ers but the beloved eagles the fantastic union the fierce flyers and of course the Philadelphia Phillies, who are now in the NLDS, which is super exciting for everybody in Philadelphia. So much more great content to be seen at phillysportsnetwork.com. So be sure to follow at Philadelphia SN, at Processing Pod. Enter in to win that chance to win the autographed Paul Reed jersey. It's beautiful, too. It's the 70s. It's, it's fantastic. There's a picture online. Absolutely beautiful. Be sure to enter. And again, the winner will be announced this Saturday before the game against the Celtics. But for now, I've been Zach Chavalella here with my guy, Andy Quach. And remember, folks, it's not easy, but just like you, we're all still processing.